0: rabbis call this story the Akada," which is from the Hebrew word "binding," because in the story, Abraham binds his son, Isaac, to the altar. And perhaps no text of the Bible has been wrestled with more by Christian readers, by Jewish readers and scholars, by even Arabic readers and scholars, than this one here. The interpretations of this story are numerous. Who is this God that would ask this man to kill his own son? A son that God gave to him out of promise and out of faith and out of a miracle. The many, many attempts to understand this event, show how hard it is to figure out God. Figure out God. Maybe that's our problem right there. I can't even figure out myself. What makes me think I can try and figure out God? If we want a God who is always reasonable, if we want a God limited by the confines of our Western Enlightenment, cultured, understanding, limited by human understanding in any way, then we will not find the God of Abraham. We will not find the God of the Bible. We will not find the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want a God that you can understand who's that reasonable, your God is much too small. And you want a much smaller God than the God of the Bible. There may be more in this event that we can't understand than we can understand. There may be more in this event that we can't understand than we can understand because the akada is deep. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher, theologian, and Christian. And his take on this event from Abraham's life, he wrote about it and he entitled it Fear and Trembling. And I think that's how... We come to this story with great fear and trembling. Because if it doesn't stir you, I don't know what will. Kierkegaard said that Abraham left only one thing behind and he took only one thing with him. He left earthly understanding behind and he took faith with him. There's no easy explanation of this event. And perhaps no interpretation really does it justice. Either we see this story with the eye of faith and we hear this story with the ear of faith or it's just going to look absurd and it's going to look very foolish to us. God said in Isaiah, As the heavens are as high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my understanding higher than your understanding. The Akada certainly testifies to that. God wants to test Abraham. That's how the story starts. He wants to test Abraham, which immediately raises the question, why does Abraham need to be tested? Hasn't he been tested enough? Hasn't waiting 25 years for a child to come when it was biologically impossible? Isn't that testing enough? God, what more do you want? And God, or if God said that it was through Isaac, That Abraham's descendants would come. What sense does it make now to take Isaac away? All would seem for nothing and for loss. After God puts Abraham through this test, notice what God says in verse 12. He says, now I know that you fear God. God tests Abraham because he wants to know something about Abraham. He wants to know about Abraham's faith, about his heart. God tests people because he wants to know what's in our heart. What is our faith like? Now why God, who sees all and knows all, has to test to find out when anybody's faith is like, that's another thing, I don't know. We're going to have to leave that aside this morning and maybe come back to that another time. But God has a pattern of testing his people. The Lord tested his people Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. And Moses spoke to them in that experience and said, The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Trials can test our faith. When our faith is put through suffering, when it's put through adversity, what comes out is genuine. That's the real deal. It's like gold that goes through fire. It is purified. What comes out is the real thing. So trials prove our faith. Walter Brueggemann has an incredibly astute observation about testing. And God's testing. And he says, testing only happens in a faith where there's one God, and that God demands our undivided loyalty. Testing only happens in a faith in which there is one God, and that God demands our undivided loyalty. And you know, not every religion can say that. Most religions don't have a single God or a God who says, Me and only me. In religions of tolerance, God can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. to your own making. The problem with making God according to what we want him to be, instead of what God really is, is that what we think about him becomes our God, instead of God actually becomes our God. I said what we think about him becomes our God, instead of who he actually is being our God. And so if God chooses to exercise his liberty and be what he wants to be and does something that doesn't fit into our system, which usually means something doesn't go our way or maybe we face a trial or we face tragedy, we conclude, well, then God must not be God. We face a crisis of faith. Well, then either God is wrong or our system is wrong. Do you know what syncretism is? Syncretism is taking a piece of that religion Part of that philosophy, some of that ideology, and we take it and we mix it together to make a system of belief that fits our own liking. Syncretism is a growing faith in this world. Well, there have always been times when God's people have been tempted to start looking at the other gods and the other religions around them. It sure seems so much easier. But the testing times for Israel and for all of us who are heirs of Abraham are those times when it is so seductively attractive to find an easier, less demanding alternative to God. Oh, how we would like to find something more demanding, less demanding, wouldn't we? How we would like to find something less demanding than the God of Abraham, than the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like a God who just doesn't care if he's not the most important thing in our lives. We would much rather have a God who wants our happiness and our convenience more than anything else. We're prone to want a God who serves us instead of us serving him. We would rather have a God that we can fully understand instead of there being mystery. We want a God who will do what we want, as we want, when we want. Well, testing from God forces us to decide whether we mean what we say about our faith being in God or not. That's what testing does. God tests to find out, am I your God? Do you really belong to me? Is your faith on your terms or is it on my terms? And you know nothing tests our faith like sacrifice. When we are asked to give up something... Abraham was asked to give up something, wasn't he? When we are asked to give up something, we find out where our loyalties and where our worship lies. Is there a place where God might be asking you to sacrifice? Maybe it's a sin that you just need to stop doing. Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's something material. Maybe it's money or or property or possessions. Or maybe it's a position. Maybe it's an attitude or an opinion about something or someone. Maybe it's something that it's not good or bad. It's just something that interferes with your relationship with God. God asks you to sacrifice because he wants you to know if you love him more than that. He says, Are you going to trust me that I'm working out your salvation even if you don't understand or can't see what is happening? You know, faith is not a game with God. And faith is risky. And as we grow in faith, we learn the price of that risk. Jesus said, the one who tries to save his life will lose it. The one who tries to lose his life will save it and find it. Martin Luther said, discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. It transcends all comprehension. Abraham left his home. He left his father's home and everything he knew that was familiar to him and he went, trusting that God would lead him to the place that God said he would lead him, though not showing him where that was going to be. Speaking as if God was saying this, Martin Luther once, once preached this about Abraham. He says, that is the way of the cross. You cannot find it yourself. So you must be Led you, you must let me, being God, lead you as though you were a blind person. It is not you, but I myself, who instruct you by my word and spirit in the way you should go. Not the work which you choose. Not the suffering you devise. Not the road which is clean contrary to all that you choose or contrive or desire. That is the road you must take. To that I call you. And in that you must be my disciple. Well, Abraham is told to take his only son. Only son. It's interesting that he's called the only son because doesn't Abraham have another son? He has Ishmael by the slave woman, Hagar. But Isaac is called the only son. It also emphasizes, I think, the value of Isaac to Abraham. The only son. It's not like there is another if something happens to him. Isaac of incredible value. Those of you who have one child perhaps understand the value of a single child in a way that others don't. I don't know. But the Lord says, Take your son whom you love. The dagger just goes deeper. He's not only your only son, but I know you love him. Abraham loves Isaac. And Abraham is being asked to give up what he loves. Does it strike you that when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, there are no questions asked? Abraham shows or communicates no emotion. We're told of nothing that Abraham feels. Abraham, no objections. He just gets up the next morning, and he prepares to do what God asks him to do. Now, my guess is, My guess is that we impose our understanding on this event. We impose what we think it should be. And we say, how cruel God is to even do this. Or we think how utterly mindless Abraham is to move forward without any questions. And we do that as if we have mastered faith. As if we know better. You know, Abraham's been walking with God for many years now. He's learned what faith is because he has learned who God is, and he understands that God is faithful. Gordon MacDonald is a pastor, and he's a writer, and he comments, we need to understand that Abraham had been listening to this voice for many years and had determined ever so painfully that it was entirely reliable. As difficult as the command was, the man had reached a point in his life where he simply obeyed. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and it knows the one who is leading. And that's Abraham. I'll tell you something else about Abraham. He has walked with God so long and so hard, I think he is suspicious of God's faithfulness. I think he is suspicious of, that God is going to do something. He suspects that God is going to do something. He smells it. You know, a lot of faith is going by smell. You smell the smoke. You don't see the fire, but you smell the smoke. He says to his servants who go with him. Notice this, verse 5. He says this. We will come back to you. We will come back to you. Why does he speak this way? Does Abraham believe Isaac's going to return with him? In his suspiciousness of God's faithfulness, Abraham believes that God will provide. This is not only a story about God's testing, it is a story about God's provision. Perhaps the most poignant part of this story comes when Isaac asks of his father after he sees the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Father, where's the sacrifice? Imagine how Abraham felt when he heard that. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. The word provide. It comes from two Latin words. Doesn't matter if you know Latin; you'll know these words: "pro" and "video." "Provide," "pro video," which literally means to see before, to see to, to see about. The word "provide" also provides our word "providence," and when we speak of God's providence, we speak of God's. Provision in all aspects of life. It is a word that speaks of God's care. It is a word that speaks of God's preservation. It is a word that speaks that he can see what we need and what is good for us way before we can. So the entire testing of Abraham is done within the context of God's care and concern. It is done within the context of God's goodness. God sees before what is going to happen, and I think Abraham is suspicious of that the whole time. This is how the writer of Hebrews interprets it. He wrote, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Yes, God does test. Oh, but God also provides. And this is a story of testing, but it's also a story of provision. And we have to see all of this in the context of God's providing. Here's a promise for us. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Abraham binds his son Isaac, lays him on the altar on top of the wood, reaches out his hand and takes that knife to slay Isaac. And that is when the angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham! And Abraham hears that voice again. Boy, it's a good thing. Abraham knows how to listen to the Lord, right? And the Lord tells Abraham, don't lay a hand on that boy. Now I know that you fear the Lord. And you would not even withhold your only son from me. And Abraham looks up and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And he takes the ram Who becomes the sacrifice. It was God's provision. And do you know what Abraham called that place? The Lord will provide. God provides. God provided that ram in his providence. And his grace. Do you see the pattern of the cross in this event? Isaac was an only son. And Jesus was an only son, the only son of his father. Isaac had to carry the wood to the sacrifice, to the altar. Christ had to carry the cross to his sacrifice. Isaac saw the knife. Christ saw the nails. Isaac climbed Mount Moriah. Christ went up Mount Calvary. The difference is that while Abraham was able to spare his son, God's son was not spared but was given up for us. If Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac doesn't make sense to you, remember the cross of Christ didn't make sense either. It looked like foolishness. But if it was not for the cross, you and I would still be under the sentence of death. For we all face death too, like Isaac. The curse of death is upon everyone because of our rebellion against God. But God provided the Lamb, His Son, Jesus Christ. His life, given on the cross, in in an obedience greater than Abraham's, has paid for our sins and brought us salvation and made us right with him. God provided a substitute, a lamb, for our death. And just as the cross is in this story too, so is the resurrection. Because the resurrection was God's provision. Just as Jesus died, God powerfully rose brought him back from death and broke the curse of death forever by his resurrection. We will all die a physical death, but after that, all who trust in the Lamb of God will be made alive again in eternal life, where there is no more wondering, where there is no more struggle, where God says there is no more pain or death or suffering, where there is no more living by faith, because the faith will be sight. When you see Abraham and Isaac, And the Akada. See Jesus. And the cross. The Lamb of God. Who is this God that would allow. His one and only son to be killed. A God who loves you beyond what you can fathom. A God who while we were still sinners. While we were still enemies. Didn't turn his back. But gave it all up for us. That we'd be forgiven. That we'd be reconciled. That we'd be as friends. I remember first hearing a sermon on this text when I was in college, the church I attended. I remember being so stretched by it, because this is not a simple story. It's not an easy story. I remember just wanting the opportunity to sit still for a moment and just think about it. As we come to just a final time of silent reflection, I want you to choose one of four questions. To think about. First of all, put those questions up there, would you? What in my life might God be asking me to sacrifice? To know that I really fear Him? Or reflect on this question. It says in James that this was Abraham's faith and action working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. Where do my faith and my actions need to come into line so that my faith will be more complete? Or reflect on, do I trust God to provide for my life? Or maybe reflect on this question, have I given over? Do I need to give over my life to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who loves me and gave himself for me? In the silence, reflect on one of those questions for yourself right now.